Our scripture today comes to us from Isaiah chapter 2. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. I'm so grateful for Bonnie and Dawn and our choir and for Andrew for just leading us in worship this morning and for all of you. It's just always such a balm for my soul to hear us all join together in worship on Sunday. Um, I hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving, that you're all a healthy pound or two heavier as we gather together today. Um, Today's also, I'm sure this is why you're here this Sunday, this is the first Sunday of the church new year. The liturgical year starts over. So happy church new year, everyone. That's why you're here today. Um, Well, it's also the first Sunday of Advent, the season where we're looking forward to the arrival of Christ here on earth. And you might have been looking for some traditional Advent imagery on your bulletin this morning, something like a wreath or a candle or a manger or a nativity scene, and uh, instead you got a mountain. You're welcome. Uh, it's not an image that you expected. It's not an image that I expected to start off with in Advent this year, but that's kind of fitting because that's how the prophets in the Bible work. They often hit us with visions and images that are outside of our expectations. And throughout Advent this season, we're going to be looking at Advent through the lens of the prophet Isaiah. Now, prophets were these kind of strange mouthpieces for God's will. They, always, they were really in tune with God's will for humankind, and they, they would always speak out in these atypical ways about how different the culture was from where God wanted them to be. And around this time of year especially, it reminds me of a movie called Elf. Has anyone here ever seen Elf? Oh, there needs to be more hands up. That's, that's sad. It's the greatest Christmas movie of all time. Uh, we could talk about that after the service if you disagree, but you're wrong. Um, and Elf tells the story of this human baby named Buddy that through this mishap, he ends up being raised in the North Pole, and he is just marinated in all things Christmas. He has an, uh, he's a first-name basis with Santa Claus. He works with the elves, toy-making, singing Christmas carols, doing all things Christmas all the time. He, it's all he knows. But eventually, Buddy grows up into a man, and he finds out that he was not born an elf because he finds out he's uh, six feet tall and all the elves are very short. And he wants to go home and meet his birth parents. And so he travels to a place called New York City. And when he goes there, he encounters this kind of mediocre, cynical version of Christmas. Christmas is, people talk about Christmas and they say, yes, Merry Christmas, goodwill toward all men and all that good stuff. But 
they really just keep their heads down. Christmas is a stressful time. Christmas is something that's bought and sold as a commodity in stores. And back at the North Pole, the Christmas spirit shined like this sun. And in New York, it's, it's kind of like a dimly shining lamppost in the fog. Like it's there if you really look for it, but it's hard to see. And funnily enough, Buddy almost functions as a sort of Christmas prophet in the movie. He has this close and intimate knowledge with what Christmas is supposed to be. This glorious vision of Santa and reindeer and the North Pole and elves and goodwill toward all men and love and selflessness. And he ends up being this mouthpiece for the will, the will of Christmas in this cynical approximation of Christmas in New York City. And Buddy can't stand being in the presence of things that are pretending to be the real Christmas when they're not. My favorite scene in the whole movie is when he's in the mall and it's announced over the intercom that Santa's going to be there. And so he gets so excited and he screams, Santa, Santa! And then he runs up to the guy sitting in the chair and he says, Oh, who the heck are you? You smell like beef and cheese. You don't smell like Santa Claus. You sit on a throne of lies, is what he says. It's a very prophetic moment. Now, of course, Elf is a, a fictional movie, and our cultural Christmas traditions surrounding Santa, Christmas trees, the North Pole, those are all very distinctive from our season of Advent where we are anticipating the arrival of the Christ child. But I wanted to start with that image in your head. Just like Buddy the Elf has this intimate knowledge of what Christmas can be, and he's confronted by the society that's forgotten. That's how our prophets operate in the Bible. They, they see it. They see this bright and shining plan that God has for the salvation of humankind, but they're existing in this world that's dim, where people have settled for this foggy, half-hearted version of God's salvation. And so Isaiah is marinated in a message his entire life. And it's easy to remember what that message is because it's the literal translation of Isaiah's name. His name in Hebrew is Yeshuyahu, which translated means God saves. And that's really the whole message of Isaiah in a nutshell. God saves. It's the message that Isaiah eats, sleeps, drinks, breathes. God saves. God has saved. God is saving now. God will save in the future. Don't forget it. Never settle for anything less. God saves. But he's in this cynical, mediocre culture where God saving is something people talk about, but not something people really believe in. Now, to really set the stage for Isaiah and the rest of our Advent season through Isaiah, we need to understand the Old Testament story up to this point and how it ties in to Advent and the arrival of Christ here on earth. And you know the story of the Old Testament better than you think. You know that God created the heavens and the earth and then puts human beings in charge and it ends up going south. We fall into sin and it's clear that we need to be saved. Humanity makes a mess of things on our own. And so God begins that saving work. God makes a promise to a man named Abraham saying that God is going to make a blessing out of his family. They are going to outnumber the stars in the sky and eventually they are going to be a blessing to all the nations and the whole world. God saves. The salvation has begun. And Abraham has kids, and his kids have kids, and those kids have kids, and God works with his families. It keeps growing bigger and bigger, and we see Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and so many others. And eventually, this family is huge. I mean, you could hardly call it a family anymore. It's like a nation in itself. And there's this great famine where there's not enough food, and they end up moving to Egypt because there was food there. And things are going okay for a little while, but then there's this infamous leader in Egypt named the Pharaoh. 
And the Pharaoh has this thought that that's, there's a lot of people out there and they could overthrow us, but we have all the food and they need the food. And so through abusing his power, Pharaoh enslaves the Hebrew people, God's chosen people. And then what happens next? Y'all know it, the Exodus story. This wonderful story. God calls a man named Moses to lead these people out and God acts marvelously to save them from all of the powers of Egypt. At every turn, the Pharaoh tries to stop the Hebrew people and keep them enslaved, but God is unstoppable. Every time Pharaoh refuses to free God's people, God inflicts a plague on the Egyptians that demonstrates God's power over everything. God sends a swarm of locusts and frogs. God blots out the sun. Finally, God parts the Red Sea and the Hebrew people pass through it and it closes behind them. They're free. It's this crescendo of salvation, this tidal wave force of God's deliverance that sets the Hebrew people free. God saves, God saves, God saves. They sing it on the other side of the Red Sea. They can't help it. They praise God. God saves. And God delivers his chosen people to the promised land, and then they can finally live into this vision that they've been looking forward to, this vision of being a blessing to all the nations in the world. They can be that holy city on the hill. The nations can flock to them and come to know God, and they could be the light that shines out to this dim and weary world. And you would think that they would remember this moment of salvation forever, and they try. They really do. But eventually things start to change, and they take a turn for the worse. God's chosen people start looking at the nations around them and thinking, we need to be more like them. God, they have power. They have kings. We need a king. And God at first says no, but finally relents and says, you can have a king, but I don't want you to look like these other nations around you. You are different. And there are some okay kings to start. You've heard of some of them, Saul and David and Solomon. But even with these, who are kind of the best of the best, even though they weren't perfect, we start to see the Hebrew people slip into this false vision of salvation, these cynical and mediocre versions of God's salvation. They start to accumulate wealth and power, and over the next several decades, it just keeps getting worse. And that core message God saves, it's still with them, but it becomes something that they say in worship, and it's totally separate from the lived realities of the people. Their rulers accumulate gold and sharpen spears and come up with political schemes and alliances to keep their power and ensure their future. They say what they need to in worship, and then they live their lives how they want. Does that sound familiar to anyone here? It sounds painfully familiar to me. We say that God saves, and then we shape our lives in a way that says we will save ourselves. It's really helpful to me that the first Sunday of Advent is the Sunday of hope, because Maybe it's just me, but a lot of times I feel kind of hopeless. We feel like the light in the world is so dim and everything's so messed up that the saving has to be done right now and it has to be us. And it's too much. We can't do it. It's hard to believe things could ever get any lighter. So we remembered the Old Testament story. God made human beings. We fall into sin. God saves and delivers God's people to the chosen God's chosen people to the promised land and promises to bless the nations through them. And then God's people fall into their own way of living where they say God saves and everything, but they do whatever they think is best. 
And then we arrive at our scripture reading today. This is 700 years before Jesus is born. There's a prophet named Isaiah. And Isaiah is the close advisor of the king of God's people. And that king, his name is King Ahaz. And all you need to know about King Ahaz is he is the embodiment of this dim, cynical view of God's salvation. He worships when he's supposed to. He sacrifices and follows all the the rules of the law, but he spends his time scheming and trying to figure out which alliance is going to benefit them the most, which army will make them the most powerful and ensure the future of his people and his kingdom. King Ahaz says, yes, God saves in everything, but I've got a country to run, Isaiah. This is the real world. I'll pay my tithe, but I'm the one really in charge of saving here at the end of the day. And it's to this king that Isaiah speaks, directly to the king and indirectly to all the people of Judah. And Isaiah speaks a vision to King Ahaz, a vision of God's holy mountain, the mountain of the Lord. And he seems to say, have you forgotten? Do you remember? Do you remember how bright God's promise is? Do you remember that our place is to be a blessing to the nations? That Jerusalem can be this place where people flock to because it is so undeniably and observably good. Don't you believe that God will settle these disputes and take care of justice if we can just be obedient? Don't you know that there can be a world where we can turn our weapons of war into gardening tools? That our first instinct would be to nurture instead of to kill in the name of peace. Don't you believe that God can make this a world where our children don't even know what war is? It's just a concept in a history book. That war is just a thing taught in history books that peace on earth can happen. That God's salvation can save us from sin and from ourselves. Can you see it, Isaiah says? Can you see it like I can? God's holy mountain up above everything else. You can see it for miles. It's like a lighthouse in the storm. People flocking to it as brothers and sisters, regardless of their nation, regardless of how much money they have, regardless of where they come from, laughing, walking up that mountain together, because that's where true life is, and they know it. That's where we can finally be fully alive, they'll say. Can't you see it? Can't we walk together up that mountain? Can't we walk toward that light? And King Ahaz's reaction is disappointing. He says, Isaiah, that sounds like a nice idea, but be real. Is that even possible? We need to solve these problems right now, and that all sounds like a pipe dream. And maybe, even if you and I don't want to admit it, maybe we resonate with King Ahaz's reaction. It all does seem impossible. Everyone streaming toward God's holy mountain. Swords into plowshares, guns into garden tools, bombs into serving bowls, with people not knowing war anymore. I mean, look at us. We can't even have a World Cup without thousands of migrant workers being exploited, without pay or dying to build stadiums, and that's for soccer games. Our world is dark. When you look at the world around us, how can peace ever be a reality? Well, Paul Simpson Duke, who's a Baptist pastor in Ann Arbor, Michigan, gives us some words to contemplate as we begin Advent together. 
He says, Advent proposes impossibilities. And the fitting first response is bafflement. Advent proposes impossibilities. He says, the season keeps on giving us cause to blurt out the question that Mary asks, how can this be? Isaiah lifts up a message that's not meant to scold or admonish us. It's just meant to remind us of this gleaming promise of what God will do in the days to come. Isaiah seeks to remind us of that core message of God. God saves. God saves. When Christ's arrival is first announced to Mary, the angel tells Mary that the child will be named Jesus. In Hebrew, that's pronounced Yeshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. God is salvation. This Advent season, something impossible is going to happen. God will arrive on the scene in a way that no one expects, not with an army, not with wealth, not like any sort of king anyone's ever seen. We will be reminded that God's vision of peace on earth, of God's holy mountain, of God bringing justice and mercy and grace to us is not just a vision, but comes to life embodied in Jesus, the Christ God with us. When we see how dark the world is, it's easy to forget how bright God's promised salvation is. But our greatest hope is this, God saves. Even in our darkest moments, we walk together up that mountain toward that promised light. Let us pray. God of love and light, what we anticipate during this season is impossible. We are deep in the fog. We can only see your salvation through a mirror dimly, but we hear Isaiah's call to walk in the light anyway. We hear you speak through your prophet to wake us up, to remind us that even though the world is dark, you are in the business of creating out of the darkness. You are in the business of doing the impossible. Shape us during this season to be oriented toward your salvation. Open our eyes to expect to see Christ in our midst. And when we settle for less, wake us up. Amen.